So it looks like anti-gun propaganda just can't compete with reality. People of all demographics are buying guns, and they're buying lots of them. Because it turns out there really is no guarantee a police officer will be hanging around the corner just when you need him. Many people, unfortunately, learned this the hard way in 2020. Others simply see the writing on the wall and are arming themselves before their neighborhood and police department is overrun. Today we're talking about guns in America. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. In America, there are more guns than people, and Americans are said to own 40% of the world's firearms. That's a good starting point, but we have ways to go. There's somewhere between 30 and 45% of Americans who own firearms, and the average gun owner is said to have about five firearms. What that means is that 50% or more of law-abiding Americans have zero guns. As the popular Matthew McConaughey meme goes, we gotta pump those numbers up. I recently got to interview a filmmaker and a friend who has a show dedicated to the Second Amendment. We had a great discussion about who's buying guns, threats to gun rights, what we need to do to enlarge the gun owners pool, how to be responsible gun owners and militias. So enjoy the interview. So joining me today is Zoe Warren, a filmmaker from South Carolina and the host of the New Americans 2A for Today show, where he explores all things Second Amendment. So Zoe, thank you so much for for joining me, man. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure, an honor. Thank you for having me. I guess one of the things I wanted to touch on first is is, uh, the reports are that, or it seems like more people are becoming gun owners in America. Is, Is that what's happening? Are the gun owners growing in America? Man, that is that is kind of an understatement, to be honest with you. I think the question is, are guns still selling like hotcakes? <laughs> Just like, right. hey, that, that, that's that more, huh? That's the speed right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a Associated Press article by a lady named Martha Belisle, um, and she wrote that the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System database documented an increase in sales, and this is how she, you know, measured it in 2010. There were 14.4 million background checks for gun purchases. In 2020, that number jumped to 39.7 million. And as of June 2021, there were already 22.2 million instant background check hits. So that means that the number of guns sold could be exponentially higher because people buy sometimes multiple firearms in a single background check. Right. <laughs> so yes, the what? answer to the question is yes. <laughs> so maybe people, maybe there's someone listening and they don't understand a background check for those who haven't purchased a firearm is something, you know, you go to the store and you purchase a firearm, but before they can do that, they call in, you know, they do a background check and whatnot. So that's definitely a pretty solid indicator uh, that someone is buying guns. And like you said, there's no registry. So we don't know how many guns they're buying. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's, uh, what's the reasons I, you said, you mentioned that this really started a spike in, uh, in 2020. I think we can all kind of uh, guess what was happening in 2020. Did any of that insanity, the hundreds of uh, riots and whatnot, did, do you think, does that have anything to do with the fact that people are st- started packing? Absolutely. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, brother. I mean, truly, okay, there's a guy, his name is Stephen Doolin, and he teaches firearms law. 
at Western Michigan University and at the Thomas Cooley Law School. And he's also on the board of the Michigan Coalition for Responsible Gun Owners. And he was looking at this trend and it, I read it in the Washington Post article. It said that far more common are the reports from first time buyers who say they no longer trust police departments to protect them, especially after some agencies were overwhelmed by protesters during the summer. <laughs> so some of these folks said that they would never become a gun owner because they were trusting the police to protect them. And that delusion has been dispelled. And I think it's a good delusion to dispel because to be honest with you, it was a I delusion. Mean, yeah, <laughs> right. If it's a lie, if it can be destroyed with the truth and it, it deserves to be destroyed, right? <laughs> I always found that to be one of the silliest, one of the silliest things uh, an anti-gunner can say, because it's just so unreasonable. It's like, well, if someone's barging down your door or or maybe, you know, uh, some someone's stalking you on the street, you know, what are the chances there's a police officer around the corner or you can run to the police station or or say someone's barging in your house. There's so many stories of of people having defended themselves because the police after calling the police because the police didn't get there. When you well, got seven seconds, it takes seven minutes. <laughs> well, this is this is great news. I, I, what do you have any idea what the percentage of I know that it's hard to pin down what the percentage of actual people are who have uh, guns because thank goodness we don't have a registry. But yeah. um, what about I think they try to keep it by households or something like that. Is is there a general number? Well, you know, I don't have that number. I do have a couple of numbers. I, I think you would think are interesting, though. Yeah, yeah um, let's hear it. In 2020, 40 percent of the first time purchasers uh, were females. And the largest demographic in 2020 of first time buyers were black Americans. So this movement of new gun ownership in America is, I mean, it's it's touching every facet of America. It's not just one demographic. It's, it's, it's the gun trend is growing in America. And so, well, that said, there's reasons for that, you know, and I think some of the reasons is more than just what happened in 2020. I mean, in 2019, brother, there were 5,500,000 rapes, robberies, and oh, aggravated man. assaults, and 16,425 murders. Uh, 20 and 20, 2020 and 2021 are proving to be well above those numbers. Where, where, where are some of the bigger spikes? You have mentioned, you know, black folks and, and women really growing. I also we know that crime has spiked significantly uh, ever since mm -hmm. the insane, you know, defund the police campaigns and whatnot. Are those related? The spikes in those uh, those demographics, as well as the defund the police uh, insanity? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Democrats are trying to say it's not, but it is. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. You can just take a cursory glance at news articles and and put the two and two together. <laughs> look at defund the police campaigns during 2020, and then look at the current spikes in the largest police jurisdictions and increase in violent crime, and you will see the correlation. Now, I believe it's causation, but I mean, we can just say the correlation is so strong that, I mean, how much anecdotal evidence does it take for somebody to say, hey, there may be a, there may be a connection there? <laughs> Well, well, there have been, I think, even reports in, in, in through major media that, for instance, in Minneapolis, you know, that mm -hmm. they tried that whole defund the police thing and it didn't work. And and there were meetings and whatnot where folks were saying um, even black folks, especially black folks, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, oh, yeah. Hey, this is not working out. We actually need the police to do their job. We're the ones that were being affected by this most. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're rolling it back too, you know. And so that's a that's a good sign um, when 
I mean, truly, like I, I don't like these experiments and the Democrats are they're economic and social experimenters and they'll put in policies that will harm people, harm communities uh, just to see if it'll work. You know, and I'm not I'm not in for that. I, I really do like pragmatic idea based in, you know, sound philosophy and principle, you know, and, but these guys, they'll, they'll run all kinds of uh, experiments on you and your family with medicine, with uh, police, social experiment, whatever, you know, and, and I'm thankful though, that in this particular case, the fruit born was almost instant. <laughs> so, so they're going to roll it back. Cause most of the time when these, when our, our adversaries build something, it's a monolith and it's almost unimpeachable mm-hmm. and it's hard to turn it back. So there has been a campaign against the second amendment for as long as I can remember. And it seems to be one of the most unsuccessful other campaigns by leftists, I think are far more successful than it seems the one against the second amendment is, is that simply just reality really being so strong that it's hard to overcome that? I think there's a, a real case to be made for our founders being bright men who were really leaning on God to get understanding of how they should communicate and how they should write. Because I believe that they really were not necessarily getting writing Bible or scripture, but they were just seeing the condition of men and understanding the reality that essentially like the, it couldn't have necessarily been written at, during the Bible time. And that one of those, one of those revelations is that what's necessary for the security of a community is a well-regulated militia. And that these, like these God-given liberty, if, if you were in a society where there were religious and moral people, okay, they don't have to necessarily believe in God, but they're moral. And, they, and if they do believe in God, they're religious, okay? In a, in a society where there's religious and moral people, what would they look like when it comes to liberty? One of those liberties they would have is they would all have guns to protect themselves against people who are not moral and not religious. <laughs> right. they, would, they would freely be carrying weapons. They would be the army. They would be the law enforcement. They would be the righteous kings and judges of the earth. And so the idea of the founders was like, why would we abridge something that God would naturally give man with our government, because I think that natural condition is what makes men secure and what makes our society and community safe. And so I think one of the, like you were saying, is it reality? Yes. I think it was a self-evident truth that our founders, they recognized, they pinned it for us. So we would have it forever as Mm -hmm. a, as a community. And so we could point back to say, why are you insecure in your communities? Are you violating one of these? Are you violating this thing about the militia? Are you violating this thing over here about speech? Are you violating these things that are self-evident that we know that came from your creator? This is why you feel insecure. This is why you're acting out in spastic because your government is not listening to your grievances, which we have mandated in the First Amendment. They didn't have to. Uh, you have to have a right to a speedy trial. Are you in jail for eight months? How, is that really speedy? Can, can I not call the court to, 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 to hear my case? Are you suspending my habeas corpus? I mean, is eight months really a reasonable amount of time before I can actually go see a judge? You know, are we really saying you can ruin my life for a year unconvicted? On on the gun aspect, there's the argument on the other side 
they never make the argument or they always ignore the the argument for for security right for mm -hmm. for for protection uh despite uh reality but as you like clarify why did the i mean it's not for for hunting right why did the, the founders establish the second amendment and it was the second it was right after speech obviously i would think there was some there's a lot of significance that they placed on that was it to push back against government tyranny oh yeah it was to secure the community from the aggression of potentates and mini gods and patricians and platonists who thought they were doing it for the good of the people and they could oppress you and it was also to protect the community from marauders and people who you know were just uh, self-interested individuals that would try to harm you. That was what the, the militia, that was the job of the militia was to protect the community. And the militia, Thomas Jefferson advocated for, and he tried to get every state to get on board for what, what you would consider a ward republic. Um, and that, that ward republic would look like a hundred houses who would have their own magistrate, their own militia, their own like basically precinct level district, like almost school district size level jurisdiction. And that with because its militia. It was, with its own militia and that militia would obviously be um, subject to the governor. You know what I'm saying? It would also obviously be subject to the, 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 the state because that's why the militia is together. To, but, but it would not be necessarily controlled by the governor. It would have its own captain its own commander and they would train they would be prepared but they would get their um their marching orders and their training through congress and through the state uh legislatures and so that they would be organized and have similar weapons i mean obviously things can be really crazy if you got a ragtag group of militia members out in the woods running around with carrier plates and and different types of weapons they, if you had to get ammunition sent in yeah, rocket. If you had to get ammunition sent in, you wouldn't. You'd have to order like you know six or five boxes of this and eighteen boxes of that. <laughs> so having some kind of unified regulate regulatory like training and what the, what we're gonna give, so we all have matching stuff and make it easier. That kind of thing would would uh, be given down by our state governments and so and and the Congress. Does that mean that? Uh, those of us who who are not well regulated in a well regulated militia and trained and in shape and and have all the tactical knowledge should not have firearms. Well, I mean, it wasn't a prohibitionary statement. It was a a statement of like it was a distinction made saying that this is why you cannot take guns from average everyday people. You cannot take guns from the citizen because a well regulated militia is necessary. How are you going to train and get proficient and whatever with weapons? If you don't have them, if you All don't right. have, so if, if we were to, to make the case that well-regulated means that we have to make sure that we determine what guns they have, period, and if they can use them and how they can use them, then if that's the case, then we should have every weapon available to the National Guard at our disposal as the unorganized militia. There should be no difference between the organized and the unorganized as wow. far as what weapons are available to us. Should we or should we not, should regular folks have access to military-type weapons? Absolutely. I mean, there. The reason why we're insecure isn't because military-type weapons are among the populace, because they still are. The reason we're insecure is because we don't have a training system, even for the unorganized militia. If everybody that, like you and I, had access to go and be FTXing 
with our the, our state guard and the, and it was the duty of the state government to provide training for every single citizen that qualifies as the militia as the constitution has designated and in different states had different parameters some was 16 some was 18 and generally 16 to like 65 males but it will be everybody now because we live in an egalitarian community which is okay that's great because i want my wife to be able to i want my my neighbor's wife to even be able to defend my family if i'm not around you know so with that said if there was an availability for anybody who is a part of the american states that wants to be trained that the states have they have to because mm-hmm. that's what it's supposed to be. We could go be trained. The reason why we're insecure is because we're not all training together. I mean, imagine in my hundred house area, if you know there's 30 or 40 of us, 50, 60 of us that are every couple of months, we're going and we're shooting together. Now we're training young men to shoot together. There's now, instead of people going to the gangs to be around men that are doing things that are natural to men, you have our militias that are doing that. It, it takes the wind out of all these criminal elements. It takes the, the family and the community and the belonging out of, out of the gangs and the mobs, and it puts it back where it's supposed to be, at the heart of a free community. Is this happening? Are there any attempts to put together these, I guess, these these hundred house? It sounds like some sort of municipality where they kind of establish their own little militia and whatnot. Is there anyone going beyond the, the the concept phase of this there are some groups and areas right here in south carolina that have begun to adopt the hundreds but in any case I, I think though the reality is that for most of us here um we are dealing with a legislature that being even though it's the reddest i put quotes up it's still the the most purple we have the most liberal republican majority legislature in the country and so we have some uh, elements of our community that are like, you know, listen, we can't depend on interceding to the government to fix the government. And so we're going to need to like, you know, make sure that we're prepared. And so I think it's, it's, it's a wise position for most of these um, communities that have adopted the hundreds idea. And it's not a whole lot of communities, but the ones that have to, to begin to think in terms of, you know, making sure our community is secure because the people that are working, that are doing these things that violate our constitution. I mean, listen, okay. It's my opinion. You, there was a question you sent me in the email before we did this, that who or what threatens gun rights. It's my opinion that the greatest threat doesn't come from Democrats or communists, but what I call Republicans with red ties and blue underwear. Hmm. They're the kind of Republican gun policy advocates that sold us out under the banner of what they call, I put quote, common sense. Okay. Those brand of Republicans try to maintain the middle and they, 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 they play sympathetic to federal schemes and unconstitutional federal acts. They don't even straighten out the uh, constitutional understanding of the term militia or citizen militia. They don't train the unorganized militia like, we're, like they're supposed to. They're afraid of the term militia. They're vain. They're malleable. They're able to be bent to the will of whatever's polling well on, it, on whatever issue. They violate the very platform of Republicanism and they throw the Constitution under the bus. I mean, from background checks, expansion, show gun show bans at state fairs, some of the most aggressive gun control schemes, what they all have in common is purple Republican participation. Okay, Democrats will abide by the separation of powers long enough to get Republicans with red ties and blue underwear to sign on to judges and appropriations, but they'll go full on Mussolini as long as you let them if they can't get their way by the rules. And so 
our problem really isn't the Democrats and communists, it's Republicans who will sell us out. And so in, a, in, in our little area, we have decided that that's not going to solve our problem. What's gonna solve our problem is our community getting to experience our love and protection. I mean, so if what, you're gonna- What yeah. are some, some Republican anti-2A schemes that you consider sellouts? Is it, Expan are, yeah, expanding background checks. That's, that's huge. I mean, I think Pat Toomey, uh, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham and other new conservatives, neoconservatives. I mean, listen, I, I love I loved the idea of Ronald Reagan, but some of his policies were straight up out of the Democrat playbook. Uh, and, what about what he did as governor with the Black Panthers? Yeah, exactly. And, and, so, and I think there were groups that were pro gun groups that got behind that. And uh, for whatever political reason, they thought it was a good idea, I guess, to for guns for them to be on the wrong side of the Constitution. And so um, now what I can say, though, is that states do have the power to do that, to 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 change gun laws. Well, and they do, because the incorporation doctrine is um, Dr. Brown, I call him Dr. Brown, Robert Brown. Um, he, he kind of schooled me on the incorporation doctrine and how it's not constitutional. It's a, it's a, it's a lawyer judicial opinion, <clears throat> but the states do have the ability to make laws like that. And that well, the only good thing about that is if the state makes a law, then you can move to another state. But if the, if the federal government makes a law, then you got to leave the whole country or, <laughs> or you have to be a criminal, you know, they, they right. make criminals with laws. So with that said, um, I still, yeah, you're right. What he did as a governor, just set it up acceptance of that kind of thing from Republicans in the federal government. And so we got all kinds of, I mean, strange additions to the law that should not be there. The state should make these laws. If we're going to do it, the state should do it. Now, now that now that we seem to have all this support for, for, for gun rights, for for gun freedoms, this seems like the perfect time to maybe capitalize on that and push forward with this this crazy idea you have a, of a, you know, hundred, you know, hundred house militia, right? Uh, we have seen that obviously any idea that the police can protect you has obviously been dispelled and lots of communities have known that for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. But now that it's touched so many more, it's, it's become so self-evident. Well, what, how would something like that happen? Is that something that would happen on a county level? Uh, is it a city municipality level? Does it need to be approved by a state legislature? How does something like that happen? Now, for most, for the most part, there are certain forms of government that are authorized by the state constitutions and some, and basically having that form of, if it was made like, you know, legalese where you had your own magistrate Mm -hmm. and it was designated that way, it would have to go through the state constitution, I'm sure. But I believe, I do believe the sheriffs have the power to, you know, essentially, um, as long as it's not against the law by way of their state constitution, which it shouldn't be, then the counties have the ability to make available at these participatory training things for different districts. And I mean, I think it can be done on a very local level within the counties, as long as the different groups, these different um, hundred house areas that are doing this, make themselves available to the governor through who, whoever is the, you know, the commander of that 
particular county. And generally speaking, because I don't think people are doing anything like this, it'll be the sheriff who you're going to give your information to. Hey, let's, we're over here. We're not giving you all our personal information, but here we are. We're ready. We, we're ready to be trained. And if and now what happens at this point is that, you know, this background check nonsense, the federal nonsense that people are trying to do, it, it comes now back down to a local level that everybody who's part of this you know, local militia is going to actually be able to sign up to be trained. And so they'll know who we are. That, uh, not in an, in an evil way, but in a permitted constitutional way. I mean, right now people are hiding out and they're acting, they're, they're made criminals because people have made it illegal. But if you make it legal, people will join. It, it, it was the way that the world worked. It was the way America was founded. It's not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is how things were done. And we just need to get back to it. So one of the things that could be done for, for some areas is legislatures have to define militia. Some of the states probably don't even have a good definition because mm-hmm. it's been so long since we have been at that place where we're actually thinking about militia. I think it was the Dick Act back in the early 1900s, which I can't really speak too much about that tried to redefine and in an unconstitutional way. So there's a need for us to overturn the Dick Act too, so that we can actually have uh, the National Guard. I mean, the National Guard's being sent overseas, like like Robert, like Robert Brown said in our last show, that's not constitutional. That means the National Guard does not qualify. It's no longer as, national. <laughs> as, as, right? It's international, right? And even so, the National Guard shouldn't even necessarily be the National Guard until we call up the militias from the state to mobilize them. And that's only because we have to put down invasion, you know, insurrection, yada, yada. And so it's very, it's very narrow. I mean, we would have, we don't even have to think about terms like inter, non-interventionism or, or military industrial complex. All those things go away when now all of our military personnel are actually members of the state militias that they came from. And the, and the, and the federal government has to actually call up the militia mm-hmm. and assemble them as the National Guard when it's time to do business. And that's one of the arguments I've heard, too, is like, well, we don't need a militia here. We have the National Guard. But that you're saying that's not that's not the same thing. And and that shouldn't be. Yeah, it's kind of a malformed argument, too, because they obviously haven't read the code of laws. The National Guard is the organized militia. And Mm -hmm. then in the code of laws is the unorganized militia, which is everybody else. So (laughs) so they haven't really they're just kind of throwing out an idea that's not really even reasonable because it violates the very code of laws that we have. If we're going to obey the law, then we're the unorganized militia. That means we've been authorized to bear the sword. And there should be no distinction between what kind of weapons the unorganized and the organized have at their disposal. That That's the issue that, that we're dealing with as, you know, yeah, citizen get- militia people. So That's another argument that opponents make is that, look, you talk about, you know, you want to be armed and to fight off government tyranny. The, the sophistication of state sponsored armies are so much higher that it wouldn't it wouldn't matter. Right. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that argument. Right. Yeah, I've, heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. What do you say to that? I think it's nonsensical. Like right now, it's only that way because you have made us insecure by by justifying unconstitutional federal acts. Uh-huh. Like if, if we essentially just did what the constitution and how our founders lived like uh robert brown and i keep quoting him because he's awesome but in in one of our last my last one of my last shows with him he uh he made the statement that montana being one of the smallest population states in the union 
Mm-hmm. If we went and we and we took every able-bodied male and female between the ages of X and Z or whatever and made available to them the um, you know training to be part of the militia so that they can defend their communities, you'd have three hundred to four hundred thousand members from Montana and Montana. <laughs> yeah, and that was his number. And so, like, so the reality is that we have made ourselves insecure by allowing these people who want to centralize and grow power, they want to, they want to uh, pull, just grab every bit of power they can unto themselves. We've allowed them to make the calls. And, and that's, that's the only reason why we're in this condition right now. So you're right. Um, we can say that their level of whatever is so sophisticated, but I can't imagine the US military, like, you know, dropping bombs on its own citizens so right so the reality is that you're going to find that even if the poop hits the fan probably likely because most of the military are not necessarily with some of the Mm -hmm. things that are being done to them like this force mandated vaccines um strange woke policies um what you'll find is probably uh at least you know a half to three quarters of the military would leave it. This sounds like the perfect storm for more militias, for for well-regulated militias, for programs. Now, we keep mentioning all these factors, and the more I'm hearing it, the more it sounds like, like you said, it's like there's folks who do want to be in the military, but maybe they don't want to put up with that crap, you know, the, the woke BS, and, and then, of course, the mandated vaccine. So that's that's another another reason. And then, of course, we already mentioned uh, the insecurity of communities and the uh, what's becoming so obvious that the police cannot always be there. It sounds like we have the perfect storm uh, for a campaign to build uh, to build safer communities, uh, to introduce our children and those who aren't who aren't who don't know anything about guns. You know, it's like the way they talk about it. You would think these things have like their own feet in their minds and they just start going off and killing people. You know, you hear the narrative and it's really insane. It's really insane how they talk about these firearms, like they have their own minds and whatnot. You know, it, it's crazy. My, my wife is a little bitty thing. She's you know, barely above 120 pounds and whatnot. One of the first dates we went on is we went shooting and she was she was really good. <laughs> you know, she was really good. And, and so I feel secure knowing that I'm not home a lot of the times, but I know she knows how to uh, handle a firearm. And so I think we are on track to change the minds despite despite the propaganda against firearms. What made you get into it? And when did you get into it, Zoe? Well, you know, to be honest with you, brother, I was, I came from a very Christian religionist anti-gun position. And I wasn't willing to listen to anyone. And God himself got through to me using the scriptures, which was, which was probably the only way I could have gotten, gotten through to, because I, I, can argue a case, you know, maybe I should have been in another life, I would have been a lawyer. The reality is that I, I was on the other side, and I wasn't willing and but my family and I went over to Pakistan. And we had a two like a two week crusade and, and we went to churches all over the countryside. And we had police officers, Muslims, police officers, in a truck in front of us with AK 47s, everywhere we went from six in the morning to 12 at midnight every day, the host family hired these guys. I didn't know that the host family was so well off, but 
he owned a rock quarry and a paint factory before he started preaching the gospel. He gave it to his brother, so he had all kinds of money. And he would always give precious stones to the mosques out of love, just charity. And so they all loved him too. So I had Muslim politicians come to some of our crusade meetings. It was pretty neat. But the idea that I had, I had police officers with guns protecting me. It was kind of, a, I guess, God bringing me to a point to show me my hypocrisy, you know? And it only grew from there that I am asking people to do something for me and I wouldn't do it for someone else. That's hypocrisy. I mean, because the Bible says, do unto others as you'd have done to you. Love your neighbor as you'd love yourself. And so if I would call on someone, like 911, to, to come and protect me and my family, but I'm not willing to be called up myself, then I'm a hypocrite. Hmm. And so, and then he showed me in Romans 13 that God's ministers bear the sword. And I was like, well, are you talking about heathens? And he's like, no. They, some of them are heathens, it's, but it's not in God's best interest that the heathen be the one that bear the sword. As a matter of fact, he gave the earth to Adam. He didn't give it to the devil. The devil took it over. Mm-hmm. And so it was always God's desire that his people be the governors of the world, of the earth. Who better to bear the sword than just persons? You know, and in America, we as the unorganized militia and the organized militia, we have the duty. It's the only place in the entire Constitution where a duty is designated as necessary. Not the president, not Congress, but the militia necessary for the security of a free state. And so the reality is that God has given us through even our Constitution not only the authority, but the duty to bear the sword for the security of our community. Does that mean we go around killing people? No, that's not what it's really about. Just like any other Christian law enforcement officer, our job is to defend and protect our Mm -hmm. communities. And so we, it's, it's an amazing transition. The Lord helped me make because I truly, I wouldn't listen to man about it. I, I just saw Jesus not, you know, returning whatever for whatever. I just saw the apostles, but then, there were things that I would overlook. I just look right past them. Like, you know, there obviously there was no evidence in the Bible of there being, you know, Christian Kings creating governments and nations, yada, but they did it. So how would a Christian King that has a government and a nation protect it without having ministers that bear the sword? Oh, that's supposed to be us. Oh, wait, in America, that is us. We're the militia. Hmm. Duh. I got to say, that is one of the more, if not the most interesting take I've heard. I don't know what to make of it. You know, I obviously, I, I, I know that Jesus' disciples carried swords. Peter yeah. used one to cut off someone's ear, which the Lord was not very, I don't know if pleased is the word, but he did put his ear back. So I don't know what that says. Can, about can, him. Can, I, can I answer that? I got an answer. I got an answer for that. Oh, okay. I'd love to hear it. Go. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said those who take up the sword will die by the sword. And it wasn't just because they had the sword, because Romans 13 could not contradict Jesus, right? The, the reality is that taking up the sword to just defend your life at all costs, no matter what, you'll die by it. Why? Because those guys that were coming to take Jesus into custody, they were not breaking the law. They were doing their job. They were just taking Jesus to be judged. And so Peter was willing to break the law to save his life with the sword against people who were just doing their job. They were just ministers at that point. They were God's, they were acting as God's ministers, taking Jesus to be judged. Now, another one of God's ministers who would have been the one who judged Jesus was corrupt. God gave the blessing and the curse out to him. He chose the curse. So the reality is that like, 
burying the sword, picking up the sword to do that at all costs, you're going to die by it because you're going to violate the government of God and, and you're going to do something that is contrary to just action if you do that. So uh, wrapping it up, we usually like to have a, a an action segment. We wrap it up with some sort of action. You know, what actions would would you recommend to anyone listening? We're having a gun safety training at a local range, mm -hmm. and that gun safety training came about because two A for today um, was seen by a young uh, Turning Point USA uh, student at USC. Anyway, he asked me to do a gun safety class. I was like, man, that's a terrible idea because i'm not qualified <laughs> and so but i know some folks who may be able to help us and so the panteo sportsman club put together a group of trainers that i mean they're special forces guys and there's six of them and now we have 50 students from usc that are coming to the gun safety training so my my first action project for anybody who's interested in you know protecting gun rights and advancing the agenda of a secure community start having training sessions with the youth period you need to train them how to take apart a gun how to clean the gun how to aim the gun uh how to not to flag one another um you need to teach them what the different conditions are condition one two three four so that they know how to handle a weapon get them familiar with it if you can set up group trainings that's great it could be a great event for outreach if you're a conservative it could be a great event for outreach in your community if you just want to have more community engagement that will be the first and foremost and the second thing is find out who the politicians are that are mm -hmm. within your county especially your county um who are in, in your state legislature who it doesn't matter if they're in your very area or not but that are pro-gun that are pro-militia that are pro-second amendment and begin to encourage them i mean oftentimes we only call legislators when it's negative you know, and so the only people that call them with positive stuff are lobbyists. So my second thing is for you to become a lobbyist, not necessarily trying to get them to do something uh, for you, but just to, to engage, hey, I'm a gun owner and I thank you for your fight because I know you're putting up with a lot of garbage as a consequence of supporting our God-given liberties. And I just want to thank you for that. I would love to meet you and, and introduce you to my family one day if it's possible and, you know, take you to dinner or something. And then you hang up, you know, give them your number. If you have to leave a message, say that and leave your message, leave your number. I mean, I, I have sat down with the mayors and, and legislators around the state now uh, with that in mind, not trying to get them to do anything particular, but just encouraging them, um, normalizing relationships with them. So it's not just us calling because we got a complaint, because then we become um, the, the plebeians who are just selfish with our issues. And they get they get encouraged only by patricians who are like, hey, you're a good godless person, or not godless, <laughs> you're a good uh, godlike person who, um, you know, just making rules for the better for the greater good. And we just appreciate all the work you're doing. Here's our information so we can give you some more leftist ideas. Mm -hmm. And so, any case, those those are the first two things. If you do those two things, I think that that's a really good start. And um, is there another side of the coin to the, the to the legislative aspect or the, the political aspect? Would you suggest perhaps watching and, and putting pressure or, or some sort of resistance to those who are not gun friendly? Or is that kind of uh, ineffective? Well, I, I think more than anything else, we need there, there's a place for protest. There is. OK, there's a place for rally. 
I would say if you're listening to this and you've listened this far, chances are pretty high that you're looking to get more fruit, more results out of the policy decisions that are being made in our legislatures and in the federal government. Because, I mean, truly, protesting and all the things, I mean, putting pressure, that's the traditional means by which we have gotten to the position we're in right now (laughs) in America. And there's nothing wrong with those means. But Mm -hmm. I think the added feature that we're not doing enough of is political science. Our enemies, that's what they do night and day. They do protest too, but they do political science like gangbusters. And political science really involves us not just responding to the chaos, but finding out who is influencing the people that we're trying to influence that are being influenced by somebody else. Okay, find out who that is, and then figuring out ways to break the connection between that influencer Mm. and the person that we're trying to influence. Sometimes it means following the money. Sometimes it means helping our legislators who are sympathetic to us um, put legislation or ideas out resolutions that'll help show the hand of our adversaries behind the scenes. But we can do that without having to go protest and put pressure. But we, but I'm not trying to say you shouldn't do that either. But I, I, that is a side of the coin that everybody pretty much already knows. You know, when things go bad, you call it Lindsey Graham. You son of a gun, you rhino neoconservative. I can't yeah. believe you helped those leftist judges and the infrastructure bill. You call me back. Here's my number. And then the lobbyist calls next. And, hey, Lindsey, I know you had a really tough call you had to make. I know you got a lot of pressure and a lot of grief from your constituents. And I just want to let you know that I'm here for you, bro. I got a gift card coming to you and your family. I don't know if you can use it. If you don't, that's fine. I'm out 50 bucks, but no big deal. Just give me a call when you get the message. I'd love to talk with you and encourage you sometime. Who's Lindsey going to call? <laughs> he wants the honey, huh? Right. He's going to call the honey. So we need the honey. I mean, vinegar is good. Yeah, I'd rather use bleach. <laughs> so, so for me, it's better to not go to the bleach and to go to the honey. Did you have anything else? I know I cut you off there. As, as though, oh, no, no, no. It's good. it's good. It's good. Like I said, I normally finish with that, but I realized your show, 2A for Today at the New American, has to do, there's always a portion where you share an anecdote uh, that shows the benefit of having a firearm. So how about we finish with that one, the one that maybe sticks out most, maybe it's the most recent one, maybe it's one that uh, just sticks out most because it was the most unique. Is there one story from, from, from your episodes that you think is a really good example of why it pays to be a gun owner? Man, you know, there's so many, it's hard to pick out just one. <laughs> They're so great. Like one of my favorites is the barbershop guy, um, but I don't want to go to that one. I want to go to the woman because the woman... Uh, where was she at? I can't remember where she was at at the moment. But anyway, this woman, she was, she found herself in the midst of a gangbang. Okay. Four to five men were walking upon our vehicle, but they didn't know that she had a little bang bang of her own. Now, I think it's important for us to get trained and not just buy guns. People are just buying guns and not getting trained. Why is it important to be trained? Because that's what the second amendment is really all about. Yeah. If we understand that we have a God given Liberty, we need to be able to abide by the reasoning for us having our right. We have a duty if we have a right. If you don't do your duty, you'll lose your right. And so, but this woman, um, she was getting in her car. She was, excuse me, she was sitting in the parking lot, minding her own business. Men walked up on her car and one of those guys trained his gun down on her and demanded her to get out of the vehicle and hand over her purse. Another man entered the vehicle and began searching her valuables and yelling at her about her keys, her phone, and her wallet. So our, I call, we, we call 
these men and women who defend their neighbors or themselves from gun-wielding idiots. Um, we call them our modern militia people, modern militiamen. So the 2A for today modern militia woman, she decided to give them her gun, okay? But she decided to give them her gun bullets first. <laughs> <laughs> she pulled out a weapon and she fired off a round. And her brute... To which court, one? The, the one on her left or her right? You say one was in her car, one was at the door. Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't... There was no indication in the story about who she fired at. Uh -huh. But she fired off a round. But it, what it did, though, is it sent her brute courtiers running back to their mama's basements, okay? No kidding. <laughs> Just yeah. one shot, huh? One shot. The woman's shot didn't find its mark, but it hit the spot at just the right time. And it mm. turned this potential tragedy into a Second Amendment victory. And, and there's lots of stories like that. You know, uh, gun advocacy, advocacy groups, they're always reporting that. I remember one in Georgia years and years ago after I moved out about five or six years ago. I think it was somewhere in Loganville. Someone had broken into this person's house and she did not want to hurt them, but she was uh, armed. So she called the police and she hid like in an attic type little closet upstairs. And they came all the way there. And I think she had a nine millimeter mm -hmm. and she ended up shooting this guy. And, you know, he, he, he crawled out of the house and the police were able to find him because there was blood. Uh, you know, he tried to go in the woods or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I have one more. Can I, can I get, can I show one more? Is it yeah. 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 Okay. There was a man in Hartley, Delaware, who ended a stabbing spree. Now, knife wounds are often more difficult to survive than bullet wounds because they're bigger, they're longer. They cut severed, oftentimes, more arteries, okay? And they don't, and since you pull the knife out, it doesn't clog up and prevent the bleeding sometimes like a bullet does. The perpetrator in this story ported four people on a mass stabbing, okay, before he was sent to his maker. For judgment a small group was in a home in hartley and they're watching tv playing video games for some reason one of the men flipped out and he began attacking the other men in the house with a knife um there's the motive for the attacker we don't know it but our 2a for today modern militiaman after being stabbed was able to retrieve a shotgun and he shot the maniac in the leg and it proved to be a fatal shot two of the men were hospitalized with life-threatening injuries and the other two had injuries that were less severe. So a knife fight with unarmed men can be a deadly situation, you know? Right. But thankfully for our 2A for today modern militiaman who was on the scene, he neutralized the knife-wielding wacko and prevented his friends from being perforated further. There are, I have several other stories I'm not going to tell today, though, where, <laughs> where mass shootings were averted the same way. Uh, there was a good guy with a gun who that was a, a, land, a, a, a landlord. There was another good guy with a gun who was just outside when this guy started popping off rounds and shooting people. I mean, well, a woman begged for her life. He shot her in the head. And our 2A for Today modern militiaman took him out. Uh, a police officer was killed by a madman with an AR-15. Uh, John Hurley, he came out with his weapon, uh, shot the knife, uh, the, the cop killer, went to disarm the cop killer. The police pulled up while he's holding the AR-15 after he disarmed him, and they shot John Hurley and killed him. So there's a real need for us to be trained on even what to do post-incident. Mm, and so when I so say tragic. training is important, training is important, guys. It's important. We should be training regularly, FTXing together regularly. We need our enemies, people who are trying to rob us and kill us and rape us, and even the tyrants who want to try to take control of us and make us do X, Y, and Z. We need them to know that we are ready. Right.
they should be very concerned. They should always be uh, hesitant, if not, <laughs> if not completely af uh, afraid to do it. That's the idea. That's the idea. Nobody, you know, these predators, they prey on just like in the animal kingdom, they prey on those they think are weak or they, they seem as weak. So that's, that's why uh, they go to schools. That's why they're shooting up schools. I mean, the gun free zone act that, that it turned our, our schools into shooting galleries. Right. It's insane. Oh, did they read the signs? You know, that this is a gun free zone. <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> Oh, oh, I thought I could. I thought I thought you and I could carry my gun here freely and yeah. shoot people. Gee whiz! So I really, 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 really thank you for for coming on. Thank you for for sharing this and and for for anyone uh, for those listening. Check out Zoe's show. Two A for today it comes on every Wednesday at thenewamerican.com. Uh, he's got plenty of stories of good guys with with guns and also anything two A. So I appreciate your time, Zoe, and keep up the good work, sir. Thank you, Paul. It was a pleasure, man. An honor. <laughs> Thank you.